back to the bin. I am Professor Allen, and welcome to this Assistant Editor's episode of Back to the Bins, otherwise known as Paul is getting kind of old and frail and needs a week <laughs> or two off every now and then to rest his weary bones. Well, he's old, you know. He's, he's older than all of us. Yeah. Best thing about recording with Paul is it's one of the times I'm not the oldest person on a call. I love it. <laughs> I, that, that is, that's not the only reason I love bins. That is a top two reason why I love bins. But this time, that is not the case. I am taking on Paul's old crotchety, get off my lawn attitude. So, <laughs> uh, but I thought I would round up a couple of funny book buddies. Oh boy. So talk about funny books. And first up, a man very familiar with the surroundings here at the Bins New England compound. Yes, it's yes, yes. The hair metal hero, Chris Tyler. Hey, everybody. It's America's favorite guest host. Yeah. Well, America's most prolific. That's that's close. I, uh, I, I don't know. I'm sure there's somebody else out there. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, I am not the Conway Twitty of podcasting like J. David Weeder, but you know. Well, we've got another man who's done his fair share of guest hosting on on mm. podcasts, and a man making his return to Assistant Editors Month, back for the first time since episode 385. And again, that's that's pretty obvious why I mean, it's, it's it's a stereotype but attorneys and physicians don't always get along the best so while paul is away dr Ange can play what do they call a thousand lawyers at the bottom of the ocean a, a good, good start, start. yes <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for inviting me and uh, and i'm really uh, i'm thrilled with the books that we all picked and i can't wait to talk about them. yeah it's very eclectic tonight very just just want to point out often dr bill robinson is a part of this show one major difference between dr Ange and dr bill one of them is actually a physician i'll just leave it at that okay mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh why don't we just uh you know talk a little bit about what our current or recent comic reading has been and dr Ange, i know that you are still a wednesday warrior to some extent so uh what have you been reading recently? New books, old books? Well, you know, as most of you know, I'm a big uh, Supergirl and Superman family stuff. And I think we're kind of in a little bit of a golden age of Superman books. Um, Philip Kennedy Johnson has really been crushing it, I would say, for like the last several years on action. And we just got a new book by Joshua Williamson, um, who is now in the Superman solo title. It's only four issues in, but it's very good. Great art by Jamal Campbell. But really, the best book, I think, on the racks right now is Batman Superman World's Finest, which is written by Mark Wade and drawn by Dan Mora and has Batman with a yellow circle around the symbol and Superman in red tights <laughs> and their besties. And there's Dick Grayson still as Robin and Supergirl wearing a crisis style uh, costume it takes place somewhere in the recent past of the DCU and just reads like classic comic books. If you're looking for a superhero fair with a lot of DC history, I would grab that book. Best book on the shelves. I might have to go look into that because modern comics usually don't do much for me nowadays, but that mm -hmm. sounds right up my alley. 
and just for any anyone who doesn't know, when you hear that Ange is a big Supergirl fan, that does not mean you should ask him about the Tom King series recently. <laughs> yeah. Just going to say, not a fan, and let's just move on. That's fair. We're we're cleansing the palate right now with what we're getting <laughs> of Supergirl in those other books. So, man, oh man. I mean, to be fair, Tom King writes his one story pretty well. He just writes it over and over. Yes, yes. Doesn't mind which character he destroys, uh, as long as his books sell. (laughs) Hey, from the commercial aspect of it, I get it. I, you know, but eh, I don't know why you'd want to just constantly be destroying things. Eh, That's easy. Yeah, as as a matter of what cosmic uh, records, it's always been easier to destroy than to create. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'll talk about what I'm reading since I'm quoting. You know, Star Trek. I've I've been reading old Star Trek <laughs> packages just because awesome. been on a, a big Star Trek kick the last I don't know six to eight months. And we talking gold key, sort of that era or the I'm old Marvels and through, DCs, everything. Bouncing around through everything, just just enjoying what's out there. Just uh yeah. And uh got, my wife had never watched Deep Space Nine or much of any Star Trek, so we're we're on season seven of Deep Space Nine now. So nice. Yeah, we're. Uh, I know what happens. She doesn't, so I'm looking forward to. <laughs> that's that's half the fun. That. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, big big Star Trek kick lately. So there you go. That's that's what I've been up to recently nice. in terms of reading. Uh, for me, in terms of new comics, I have wrapped up a couple series recently, a couple mini series uh, I've been reading digitally. One was the Keanu Reeves comic Berserker, which was really more like storyboards for an upcoming Keanu Reeves project, which I'm pretty okay. sure it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, Berserker. It was solid. It was action-packed. Not very original. I mean, it's sort of a Vandal Savage type of character has been around forever, and the U.S. military wants his secrets of longevity. So, you know, we've, we've seen it before, but it's action-packed. It's not bad at all. And a series with a really big concept, 8 Billion Genies, in which every person on Earth, eight billion of us, get a genie and one wish. One wish. Okay. So it's a kind of cool. I mean, it's a cool look at human nature as much as anything else. Totally different, and uh, and pretty good. And uh, just yesterday, I visited a nearby location of Half Price Books and picked up about ten dollars worth of comics at a quarter each. Oh my Very gosh. happy hunting. The quarter bins have returned. That might be a bad sign for the economy, but that's okay. <laughs> it's a good sign for me. I'm fighting, <laughs> personally fighting inflation with every <laughs> visit to the used bookstore, okay? That's great. <laughs> oh. and, uh, and somehow uh, for this episode, we managed to not bring a single mainstream big two book to the table we got two indies and a and an offshoot uh label so uh chris you are our official two true freaks man here so oh okay you're batting lead off i'm batting lead off okay well what i have here and i think this might be the second time i've brought one of these issues to a back mm. to the bins uh i've got rock and roll comics number five uh, it is published by Revolutionary Comics, and I believe the date on this one, it's really hard to find any, any info on this. Um, it, well, the Indicia's got it at 1989, 
November of 89. So it probably came out a month or two earlier than that. And uh, the cover is the, well, that's the subject matter. And this issue covers Def Leppard. And it's it's me. So what do you think I was going to do? You know, that it's not going to be Barry Manilow comic that I'm covering. Um, <laughs> so the, no, uh, but, the cover. But, yeah. but Chris, this is great because after all these episodes of you really living into the hero part of your nickname. Yeah. It's good that every now and then you bring the some hair metal, hair metal, metal. the oh, other yeah. half of your nickname. So yeah, yeah, there good. you go. Yeah, so we've got uh, a, the cover is uh, it's kind of striking. It's it's uh, the Def Leppard logo with a giant, we'll call it a lava burst, behind uh, portraits of the five band members. Uh, the quality of those portraits is dubious, and at the bottom we've got a little uh, rocks spelled out. Well, the cover is clearly by uh, looks like Lyndall Ferguson. I don't know this guy from a hole in the wall. Uh, so, um, like any issue of rock and roll comics, for the most part, they kind of tend to stick to the same format, uh, where the first half or so of the book is going to be a biography in the most general sense of the word of whatever the featured band or artist is. Uh, so this one has Def Leppard rocket to the top. We go through the early days of, of Def Leppard, um, you know, learn about Joe and Viv and, and all the guys and uh, what they were up to, how they got interested in music, how they formed the high points and low points of their career up until that point. And I know this is a really dry summation, but it's, it would take you five minutes to read this, so I'm not going to just go through beat by beat. And if you know anything about Def Leppard, it's pretty much all there. I, rock and Roll Comics was, I don't think, breaking much new ground. Though they did get sued quite a bit. New Kids on the Block tried to sue them out of existence um, long, long ago. And so did um, one of the another band out there. But You know, was that for like unauthorized? Because it's all unauthorized. Sort of thing? Yeah. I think it's because it's curious. all unauthorized. I was curious about how that... Well, I mean, every every issue of Rock and Roll Comics is branded with, you know, totally unauthorized somewhere on there. It, more or less, it would be the same thing as a, as a gossip tabloid if you were buying one off the rack. And so, I mean, if you're a public figure, I'd be tough crap, you know, you, stuff can get written about you. Now, if you wanted to go after them using the specific logos and stuff, that might be the really the only way you could get them. To, to me, that uh, was that was the, the more surprising part. I, I, I wasn't sure if that was the actual official or, or if that was just. Oh no, that's very yeah. close. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's dead on. The artwork in every one of these issues, being a low budget indie comic, you know, it, you can kind of get away with. Well, it's different enough from from the guys that you really could make the case that it's not them. If, if there was <laughs> going to be any sort of lawsuit, <laughs> but we uh, we cover pretty much from the early days of the band up to Rick Allen losing his arm in the uh, the car accident and them finally getting back into the swing of things and getting back out on, on tour because so let's see this was 89 which means that hysteria had come out just what a year or two earlier so yeah um so we're, we're getting right to the last thing that they had released and and where they were going um interspersed with this in like every other issue of rock and roll comics there's a parody of the story that they've just told you where they can make cheap jokes at the band's expense which I think is all fair. It's fun, <laughs> you know. It's you get to you get to laugh at the band a little bit. Um, and one of the regular features uh, in rock and roll comics was its own little um, 
So a little thing called stand back and he's just your average rock and roll kid from the the 80s and 90s. And it's just another excuse to make (laughs) cheap juvenile gags a couple of years before Beavis and Butthead came out. Um, And that's really what pretty much every issue of rock and roll comics is. Um, There is a a nice little interlude um, where they do um, go over Rick Allen's accident and recovery. It's a big chunk of the actual issue. And instead of playing it for jokes like some of the other stuff they do, they do take, and they would often do this if there was serious drug addiction or a major problem with an artist, rock and roll comics would kind of devote a chunk of an issue to, here's the big serious thing in this band's history. Let's treat it seriously. Let's give you some sort of perspective on it. So it covers Rick Allen's recovery to to the point where he's actually you know the band say all right you're you're still going to be our drummer even though you only have one arm and it's it's kind of nice to see that you know the uh the motley crew issue it's the same thing with nikki six ODing with slash and steve adler from guns and Rose. you know it's so they they did try to when it was reasonable put some serious gravitas in there um and now your mileage on this kind of stuff is going to vary. I mean, with my nom de plume, it's obviously this is the kind of stuff that I'm into. Um, so I enjoy going back and rereading these. I had a bunch of them. My friend had a bunch of them. And I think we got them out of like, I must have got them all from grab bags from New England Comics. Uh, I was I was looking I was looking at a couple of these just just to try to find some info about it. And it's they're tough. They're selling for 40 to 90 bucks on eBay. It wow, looked like yeah. I did not see anything grab bag worthy. Back in the day though, I mean, in 90, yeah. when, when this style of music that I have made sure. myself after kind of started to wane really wasn't a big call for these right. back issues. So just, you know, shove it in a $5 grab bag at right. New England comics and you're going to, yeah, I mean, you're going to get a Ninja Turtles issue and a Spider-Man issue and a rock. You're going to get something. That's amazing. So I ended up having a bunch. I think I only have one issue left. Um, oh, wow. But yeah, but it's, um, you know, at that time, being 9, 10, 11 years old when these were coming out, and that's what I was into, I, of course, I was gobbling all these up, and I wasn't buying them off the rack specifically, but like I said, we just, my friends and I, we would just end up with these somehow, so we would trade them and read them, and because there wasn't, you know, there wasn't social media, um, yeah, you could go out and buy, you know, Krang or or, you know, uh, any of the other music magazines, which I really wasn't doing because I was spending my money on comics. So this is where I was getting my gossip and my information from. There was no behind the music yet. This was behind the music before behind the music. Was so. this was this publisher up up in the Northeast? I mean, I just, I've never heard of the, not, of the title. I'm not sure. I didn't see him in, on, I, I, in I, Maryland. I haven't seen him here in Ohio. I mean, I, that, I, that now I wouldn't expect to, I guess, as expensive as I don't know. Maryland. It's... Um, and I'm sure That's they're expensive strange. probably just because they were low print. Right? Yeah, um, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, California, it looks like. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, and the publisher is Todd Loren. So I don't know. I don't know anything about that guy. I, I've never looked into it. I, you know, I'm sure that if I dug around enough, I probably could find some more <laughs> information on this. But um, yeah, I think they, they had trouble. I know that for a fact because in the in the editor's page at the beginning of pretty much every issue, they would talk about what was going on with the publishing, um, the lawsuits, trying to keep things afloat. And they, they managed to do a decent amount. Of, you know, it ran for a couple of years. So, but like Bob Dylan got like a three issue special, Ozzy oh. got two issues. So 
not everything might be up your your alley, but if you want to take a look back at the, we'll say the good old days of indie books <laughs> when they were really indie, because the art is, depending on who they got, sometimes the art is fantastic, sometimes the covers are fantastic, and sometimes they're just not, <laughs> and it's okay because it's yeah. not really why you're there. Yeah, overall, that's that's what pretty much every issue is. And uh, I'm a big Def Leppard fan, so I was like, yeah, let me pick this one. I I could could have went with something else, but seeing uh, the other selections that you guys are in, it's like, I make let me keep it let me keep it low key. Let me keep it indie for the for this one. So, you know, I'm a I'm a little bit older than you, and I was uh, like '80s alternative guy. So when okay. Pyro, when Pyromania came out. I was probably in the eighth or ninth grade. I was listening to Talking Heads 77 because okay. my older brother was listening to that sort of stuff. But Pyromania was everywhere, yeah. right? You couldn't escape, right? Yeah. Photograph was like number like on MTV Fights, right? Was oh, like yeah. one for like a year or something like that. Yeah. And um, and then, it, you know, uh, Hysteria came out in college, right? There was those, those years in between. Yeah. And my best friend in high school and the guy that I lived with in med school was more of a hair metal guy. And so I listened to this stuff all, all like throughout those years, right. Yeah. In high school, it would be sometimes my music on the radio, sometimes tis. Yeah. So the funny thing about this was like, I knew, first of all, like I knew what Def Leppard looked like. I'm like, that ain't Joe Elliott. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 you know, because MTV was everywhere back then, oh, but yeah. like, but, um, but for me, it was just interesting to to read it because it did kind of like, oh, I remember when, like, I can tell you where I was when it was like, that guy lost his arm. He's probably not right. going to drum anymore, right? You know, yeah. and, and oh my God, they came out with an album. Like, how are they going to like, you know, Pyromania came out of nowhere. Are yeah. they going to be able to like repeat that success? And then of course, you know. Mutt Lang. Yeah, yeah. You get Shania, yeah, Twain. Lang, you get Shania Twain's husband. You're, you're kind of covered. Yeah. So. <laughs> so so I I thought this was like a complete, you know and to even see the things where they're like you know oh like we're in england and it's all sex pistols and ramones and like are we even going to be able to get our foot in the door because that's not what's hot right now yeah. they were like we're staying true to our music so it was pretty cool i gotta say i like really enjoyed this yeah it's um you know if you take a look at the back catalog you'll find it an artist or two that you'll be like ah, eh, let's see how they present this uh, like you know going back to do research for this i was like i picked up leopard but i think i ended up i ended up reading the van halen ones and i read the motley crew one. i read the two guns <laughs> and roses ones it's like let's see how close this actually is. yeah because <laughs> i mean this i've forgotten more about 80s rock now yeah. than i you know probably <laughs> than a lot of people know so it's like yeah let's see let's refresh my memory here enjoy the scratchy crappy artwork <laughs> that fits so well for a, a, an underground indie book so in general it just seems to me not non-fiction books are can, can be tricky oh yeah because there isn't a natural narrative flow to our lives <laughs> right i mean things no. just happen and that's kind of what this comic is. This it's, happened, oh, yeah. and this happened, and this happened. So, yeah. I mean, there are ways to tell, I mean, nonfiction, you know, comics and books or documentary movies. You know, it, it can be done, but yeah. Well, they structure, can't all be the yeah, Pope John Paul second Marvel Spectacular, you know? <laughs> yeah. Hey, you guys got lucky. I almost picked the Action Bible. Like, let me just pick one book out of the Action Bible. <laughs> no. 
because the artwork's amazing. Save yeah. it for darkness to light, Chris. Okay? okay, just save it for darkness to light. <laughs> okay, okay? <laughs> you, you know it, it's funny, Professor, because like one of the things is as you're reading this, it's like you know he was involved in a car accident, but it's like a car going through a guardrail off a mountain, like in like a Silver Age Superman comic, right? And and then he says like I am not going to spend any more time in this hospital, and there's this like dramatic picture of him like getting up and storming out, and so I think they tried to bring like let's bring some cinematic storytelling. Yeah. To really this history, right? It could have been just pictures of them on the stage, right? Like a lot of it is like we should play our guitars, right? So yeah. so I think they try. I mean, um, they do have, I mean, Def Leppard has within it one of the greatest stories in rock and roll. Yeah. I mean, that story, not just of him losing the arm, but yeah, he, the band stuck with him. That to I, me I, is the story. The story, and then the comeback. It really, yeah. I mean, it it really is a truth is is you know better than fiction sometimes and it's i mean in, in terms of just and this is me just coming from a narrative point of view if they had ever gotten around to doing another issue for def leopard it would not have been as happy <laughs> so yeah. um yeah. you know because steve clark you know drank, drank himself to death so yeah. it's like eh, the follow-up wouldn't have been wouldn't have been quite as rousing so um yeah it's, it, but again i mean sometimes real life slice of life right. stuff is just as interesting as you know, giant robots and, and <laughs> e girls. So it's <laughs> and I like Spoiler. all that stuff. It did feel a little bit like a book report in terms of the story, but the you know, on on the other hand, you, you're dealing with what you have, and I I appreciate that they didn't go so far out in taking liberties. I think maybe there's a balance there that. Yeah, and it's I mean, oftentimes they'll slip clever little nods into song titles and stuff in these issues. Um, you know, just you know, it's a wink, wink at, at the the knowing audience that's that's reading this book. But uh, you know, there's no big two page splashes or anything in any of these issues, really. I mean, usually it's a wraparound cover for the for the art, which is it's paint. It's usually painted for most of these issues. And again, some are better than others. Sometimes, like you'll you'll pull up one and go, like, "Wow, that's a really nice portrait that they did there." And sometimes you go, eh, I "Don't know if this person was great at faces," but. I mean, Wait. all of it would have, all of it could adorn the you know the side of a of a Chevy Astro van circa nineteen eighty. So that's that's <laughs> all generally of that quality. But as as as, as you were talking about the uh, questionable legality of some of you know the way that they were that they were doing this, this is this is exact. This is an independent. This is underground. I mean, yeah. it's le legitimate underground, and you could see him being distributed to record stores and. You know, they mean not, you know, not officially, you know, official no. comic book publishing channels, yeah. but you can yeah. see them getting out in that way. And uh, two bucks an issue back in 89 is, you know, that's that's yeah. on the high side back then, you know, because what, what were Marvel and DC clocking in? They were in 89. There was just still a buck, right? Maybe, Maybe a buck twenty-five, buck fifty. I think that you're right. Probably a little bit higher was... than normal. The Baxter stuff might be the direct market stuff, maybe a little bit more. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I mean, and again, they're printing in black and white. They got to save the money somewhere. And yeah, right. with, with what they were getting paid, I'm sure it was just a group of guys that probably all just into music. Like, all right, let's just put out books and who can draw? Yeah. All right, I can try, you know, let's, let's see what we can get done. So, well, I just so, have yeah. to say, you know, it worked. When I was done reading that one, I was just thinking to myself, and I want, and I need, and I love. Rock and roll comics. <laughs> That's a glowing endorsement right there, people. <laughs> I'm not fooling. I really uh, liked this. 
<laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, go back, go back and find the other, find the other artists you're interested in. At it, you know, it's yeah. like you can if you hunt around, you know, on the high seas, you can you can find them to read. I don't know if anybody's going to come after you at this point because. I don't think they've been in publication for quite a long time. So um, it's one of those, uh, yeah, $60 an issue. I'm okay with tracking it down just to read it. So why don't we rate this thing and we'll move on to the next one. Um, I guess I'll start since I brought it. <laughs> so uh, the cover, it's bright. <laughs> that's, for, that's for darn sure. It's, it's, it's hitting, that, hitting that aesthetic uh, for sure. Um, the back cover is is slightly better, which I hopefully everybody took a look at. They kind of blended the uh, Pyromania and Hysteria album covers with uh, some thematic stuff. Um, so yeah, front cover uh, not great. I, honestly, I'll give it a C. Back cover that's eh, like a B plus. I'd hang that on my wall. Uh, interior art because of the nature of this book, where it's kind of an anthology in every issue. The art's not good. Uh, I'll just, you know, it, the art is a C at, at best. And again, I don't think any of these guys are super professional. Writing, again, it's vignettes and gags. Um, that being said, the main bio part, I'd give a B. The rest of the issue, I give it a C. It's, it is what it is. There's going to be some high points, some low points. Depends on what your tolerance for cheap gags and parody is. Um, but again, your mileage will vary. I mean, so overall, you know, I'm not going to go out and track this one down and buy it and slam <laughs> it, you know, but it's uh, overall, I, I mean, I'm probably going to, overall, I'd give it a B experience, but that's me, uh, which doesn't really reflect the letters that I just gave you. But I didn't, I enjoyed it. I had a, I had a good time going back and, and going through this and having a couple of cheap yucks and some melodrama. So now, I only looked at the front cover. I feel I may be missing something, but that, that front cover, let's just say there's a lot going on in terms of design. I guess like a good metal album cover, I guess. It's a lot. I'm not saying it's all good. I'm saying no. it's a lot. But it sticks with you. It's bright. Like Woo! it burns your eyeballs. If you get, get a chance, look at the the back cover is something that you could, okay. could see like, oh, this could have been a print at a Def Leppard show that you could have walked yeah. out with a poster. So. Nice. Okay. But I, you know, it's a C it's, it's, it's okay. I, I thought the interior art wasn't as bad. Maybe that was my expectations for an underground okay. book. Again, the likenesses aren't likenesses, but they're consistent, which is, which is worth something. Yes. You, know? it, you can sort of, I mean, the same, the people look the same throughout the story and the hair. Oh, the hair. <laughs> the, the, the hair is glorious, man. So I would actually rate the art a little high. I'd give that a B minus. All right. Yeah. But All I right. was kind of stuck on the story just because there is a lot of drama in their story. But I know that because of the VH1 behind the music and <laughs> yeah. uh, the, you know, the newspaper articles of the time of the accident. I just think that and I know later in the issue, you said that was given a longer uh, portrayal. Yeah. But in that, in that, what I'm looking at, that that main story, it's just sort of one of the events. So yeah. you know, maybe C, C minus. I mean, rock and roll comics number five, number was it number five? Number five, yeah. 
you're no VH1 behind the music. That's all. No, no. <laughs> so, but 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 overall, it's a C. Again, I'm I'm kind of tough on nonfiction books too. I think it's just kind of tough. But yeah, it works for for an independent, not just independent in the sense of you know image and first comics. I mean, real underground. Really yeah. far under, underground, and in an underground book where it wasn't just yeah, there's some cussing in it, but it wasn't riddled. No, it wasn't it was Prince not. the Cat. It's no. like, mm-hmm. and you, yeah. we think of a lot of those '70s and '80s underground books, and it's you know the stuff that like, oh god, you got to hide it under your bed because you don't want your mother to see it. But this one, yeah, you know, you yeah. wouldn't feel embarrassed about leaving yeah. this on the coffee table. Yeah, I've, I've read lots of comics better than this, and lots of comics worse than this. Oh, to yeah. me, it's the exact definition of a C. And yeah. again, I may be harsh seeing a missed opportunity or two in the storytelling but it was it was a fun read Mm -hmm. i i am fully on board with that idea you know for me i'll just say like this was a a nostalgia machine for me right when i'm reading the beginning part of this i'm like remembering you know junior high and and like like noticing girls who are wearing deaf leopard shirts and saying maybe i should be listening to this stuff right and (laughs) and then uh, and then if when they hit let the me just say, stuff. let me just say, if it reminded me of junior high, it would have been F's across the board because I hated those years. I'm just saying, Ange, now you're bringing up bad memories. But even the, right, and then the hysteria stuff is like when I was, you know, I, I, I was a nerd in high school, but I can remember listening to this stuff as we're driving to the amusement park with my buddies, right? So, so I think like the cover's a B. It certainly looks like almost like a black light poster that you'd get at some yes. sketchy town carnival, right? Yeah. You know, I think the story is a B because it's like, oh yeah, like I did I forgot how many years there were between Pyromania like and Hysteria. Yeah. And right, and people were like, and then even crazier for me is like when Pyromania hit it big, then they start to play Bring It on the Heartbreak, right? Which is like, I didn't even know that band existed. Pyromania isn't their first album. They have no. like older stuff, right? So I'm going to give this story a B. The art is a C. I honestly think like I've doodled enough in lectures that I probably could draw like this if you, if you like put a gun to my head. I um, probably could too. Right? But uh, but overall, I'm going to give this, like for me again, like the experience is a B because it just kind of like, I was just like, oh my gosh, it's 1985 all over again. You know, it's like I'm like some pimple-faced kid like, you know, who's trying to tell my buddies that like fear of music by talking heads is life changing and they're listening to thrash. So, uh, so, uh, so I loved it. Oh my, uh, so it was a beast. That's awesome. That's All right. Awesome. Well, let me go next. I'm sticking uh, with the independence. Uh, not quite as independent as that, but I've got uh, Magnus Robot Fighter number 31 from Gold Key. Cover dated April 1972, though it is a reprint from 1966. And the cover, according to the Grand Comics database, was by Mike Royer. There's a, a more painted version um, from the on the 1966 version. Oh, so there we go. So a oh. little bit, little bit different. I mean, it's a, oh, it, yeah. it is the same exact design. What what we have on this one is the more traditional comic style version of that i like them both (laughs) yeah yeah. you know it's got a sort of a purpley pink background and we got a big old robot who's being uh, tripped up and is also being shot at by magnus he's firing a big ray gun at it 
There are green bubbles uh, all around this. An unseen sinister force plagues all North Am by creating ever-growing monster robs. Now, I'm not sure what that made you guys think of, but for me, when I hear the word monster and rob, this might apply to you guys as well, I think the next word should be Gronkowski. <laughs> I try not to think about him nowadays, but... <laughs> I mean, what else? I mean, I don't think Rob Zombie, Rob Lowe. I don't think. Oh, well, Zombie, Zombie's another. He's a, he's a New Englander. Okay, he's from Massachusetts. There, there you go. There you go. Um, the I I like the painted one. I think a little better. The bubbles yeah. are transparent on it. I mean, if you compare them, it's you can see which one came first and which is the which is the copy of that. But it's got a big robot, and that's pretty yeah. cool. That oh, is yeah. pretty cool. So. And, nope. and let's let it not be said. Any man that can rock Lieutenant Uhura's outfit and make it look good. <laughs> and I'm not joking, folks. Look this one up. Mini skirt. Yeah. That was that was Magnus's look. I, I think they referred to it as a tunic. Okay. Uh, you could call it a tunic. <laughs> I mean, it's a jerkin in a mini skirt. <laughs> as a onesie. And white boots to boot. Like that. I mean, it it, it takes skill to rock white boots. Yeah, yeah, that actually is a lieutenant. You heard us luck, especially with those boots. Anyway, I think <laughs> good point there. Good point. Okay. No argument here. All right. Uh, the story, The Monster Robs, had no creator credits in the issue, but it appears that the story was written by Herb Castle with art by Russ Manning and Mike Royer. Russ Manning is the creator of Magnus Robot Fighter. Mm -hmm. Uh, the story, like the covers, a reprint from issue 14. And we start in the year 4000 AD in North Am's Great Park of Peace. Without warning, a radioactive meteorite strikes down near where Magnus and his lady friend Legia are taking a stroll. While robot workers clean up the site and experts arrive to examine the strange rock, his teen adventure buddies, the Outsiders, see how worried Magnus is. And one of them, an African-American kid named Trum, ends up taking a pulsating piece of the meteorite back to his home because the plot required that. <laughs> While police robots guard the park, bubbles rise from the meteorite, some lifting to the sky. While some attach themselves to Pull Rob 70, that's Police Robot 70, at the same time, Trum's bit of rock also releases bubbles and they sort of butt up against his bedroom window. He opens that and lets them out. Early the following morning, Magnus stops by Leisha's place in a swanky hip flying car. Oh my God, I want this thing so bad. <laughs> in that, is, that color. That is like... one, of the, one of the best looking flying cars because is he reclining in it or is he lying on he's his belly? He's not reclining. He's, he's lying he's, down. He's lying on his belly. Bro. Like, this is a this is a full full casual look yes but look you know like you said magnus he needs to be careful of you know with his mini skirt well he's got the convertible <laughs> option to show his legs off so it's i mean that's, <laughs> it works that is he is styling here yes uh so he's gonna run some tests on the new atomic ripper ray but uh i think being kind of a nag to be honest leisure points out that the ray is already blown up twice. 
But Magnus tells her in his own special way that she doesn't need to worry your pretty little head about anything. <laughs> so he heads to the Park of Peace as reports have come in of giant robots there in the park. It's Pole Rob 70, blown up to giant size and expanding constantly. Leisha and her senator father have arrived there as well. And while she trips and hurts her ankle, Magnus does what he was born to do. He fights a robot because <laughs> he knows the name of this comic book. <laughs> and despite pulling off Pole Rob's head, it is still growing. And even more have grown giant, and they are running wild. Magnus manages to set up the rip array and disintegrates one of the giant Robs, but there are still too many. And now some have shown up at the waterfront. At the same time, the, the boys, the outsiders, they confirm what Trum said about the bubbles. They appear only in the dark, but the boys' doorman robot has grown and chases them away. Well, Magnus is trying to convince the council members that they have to act or Krypton is doomed. <laughs> Trump sneaks in, tells him about the robots and the dark and the bubbles and confirming that the bubbles are what's causing the robot growth. He tries another rip array, but it fails. All seems lost. Even his attempt to fight a robot with his bare hands fails. <sighs> the outsiders have gotten better results going all Ewok on the giant robots. And they finally get to Magnus and tell him about the bubbles bouncing off the bedroom window. That was a clue. And that leads them to create giant glass domes to put over each robot, ending their growth, enabling them to destroy them all. And some good comes from all this, as the meteorite itself is under a glass dome being studied by the scientists. And if we can discover its secret and control it, North Am's supply of metal will be without limit. The end. So... That was a ripping read, I thought. I love retro sci-fi. I yeah. love everything about this. I love the color palette. I love all the outsiders are wearing speed suits. You know, it's just a, a jumpsuit, sleeveless jumpsuit. There you go. That's all you need. Fashion of the future, Chris. Fashion I, I, of the future. I hate Star Trek, Venture Brothers, this. I'm, yeah, I get it. I get it. I'm ready. I'm ready to invest. Now, one point that I did find out in the research was that Russ Manning saw Magnus as a Tarzan of the future. Man, man at his simplest. And in the first story, Magnus was wearing nothing but a loincloth and sandals. And the editor said, put some clothes on this guy. And that's uh, how they ended up with the tunic. So tunic, tunic. loincloth. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a tough call. It's a tough call. It's the future. This I mean, one is the, more futuristic. It's a yeah, bit the, more futuristic. The, the women aren't much more dressed than the men. So, you know, it's very mm -hmm. ecumenical. Yeah, mm -hmm. I like that. I got to tell you, like that Legia, she's like in her party little black dress. The the whole issue. This, you know, if the Def Leppard comic made you feel like me when I was 15, this I read and I was like, oh my God, I'm eight. But this was in like the best possible way. Like I was, you know, uh, I'm reading this. There were clues. There's a diverse group of youngsters that you can clearly, when you were a kid, you identified with. 
They the adults aren't listening to us, and we know what's going on. We have to break in. Um, you know, there's a lot of big words that I probably would have pulled out the dictionary. They're non-ethereal speech and the iridescent bubbles and protons and electrons. I think I would have eaten this up with a spoon. I didn't read a lot of Gold Key growing up. I was still a DC kid even back then. Um, so this might be the second Magnus Robot Fighter I've ever read. But I think it's mine because I think the last time I was on with uh, Professor Allen, he brought a Magnus Robot yeah, Fighter. I think we did. So. I think we may have. Yeah. So yeah, so you know, I I I I thought it was a pretty wild, futury past the 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 past version of the future. Uh, oh, yeah, of yeah, uh, which is always just a fun experience. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm always down for super science in in my science fiction adventure comics, and this this has plenty of it. I mean, I you know the Ripper Ray. That's just a great name. Yeah, <laughs> great name. I want to get a Ripper Ray. Yeah, and yeah. And, and I thought it was great. They were like, it's a tractor beam for the electrons, and it pushes away the protons, or like rips the atom apart. I was like, oh, they like even gave like a legitimate explanation. And I love the I love the police robot design. Like that is just mm, chef's kiss. Yeah. That yeah. is. That is old school science fiction robot right there. And I, I love everything about it. Now, when the AI actually comes to take us over in a couple of years, is it going to start with the doorman? Do you think? Do you think the doorman <laughs> robots are the first thing that's going <laughs> to? It's just going to be AI and it's just going to, it's going to control all the power. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Power and water. I, I had to laugh at the council because, you know, it, there are giant robots that are threatening the planet. And the guy goes, I've lost millions in buildings that were damaged, man. It's the bottom line is what that guy cares about. Not we're all going to get crushed underfoot. And he's just he's the mayor Vaughn of this issue. That's OK. <laughs> I don't want to get all business professor on us. Yeah, you do. But if in 2000 years. These buildings are only worth a million or two. We have had some serious devaluations of the currency every, every millennia or two. Because that oh, would the be, rate uh, things are going. That might not be science fiction for much longer. <laughs> that would be quadrillions, or or a couple pennies. It could go either way. Could go either way. I guess it's a '60s thing, but no big splash pages. Nothing like that. And and. When you have something giant robot-y, it would, it would have helped maybe to have a big panel or two somewhere. I mean, this is a minor quibble. Every page seemed to be you know, four or five panels or so. Just once you want to see the majesty of one of these giant robots. I agree. But at the same time, there's also something to be said. There's a fine line between you know writing like Chris Claremont, where there's uh, you know, uh, five text panels in uh, text bubbles in everything and then you know the opposite of you know today's comics where it's just all right we're going to give you six pages that are all splash pages and there's nothing to read it's a happy medium and i and i'd much prefer to have something to read than something to stare at but that's me <laughs> I, i'm more of a story guy than an art guy yeah you know but with this guy magnus what do you think the downtime issue would be because he's magnus robot fighter so with the like Magnus Domino player, Magnus comic book reader, Magnus um, podcaster. I mean, I, I don't know. I think he's turned his. I think he loves what he does, so he never works a day in his life. <laughs> Honest, yeah. if I could pull that outfit off and destroy robots, I wouldn't be complaining. That's, that's not a bad life. Flying car, show my legs off, hot girlfriend. 
kill robots. I mean, the future's looking good. <laughs> I mean, yeah. If you look at that car, it looks like a flying waterbed. So I'm going to guess that days <laughs> off are like, hey, Leisure, let's go for a ride up in the clouds. If you know what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is a children's show. <laughs> this is an all-ages show. And I probably... <laughs> I should... 35, 38 years old is probably the average age of the listener. I think we're okay. <laughs> now, the first thing I'd set around doing with those bubbles is like, can we make a giant hot dog? Can we do that? Yeah. Just, you know, giant picnic in the park of peace. It's like world's largest rack of ribs. Uh, no. Yeah. That's what I'd be yeah. doing. I did like towards the end, we get, I don't think it's the senator, but we get this, we get this fellow with just an epic costume. He's got a cape. He's got a helmet. Oh, yeah. This blue the, tunic-y sort the, of thing. The, the colonel, yeah. Yeah, the colonel. He's got his he's got his yellow uh, dishwashing gloves. That's an epic design. And we do have a diverse set among the outsiders, right? We've yeah. A, yeah. The, uh, a good, good crew of... Caucasian, African, Asian. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So very, very modern. Very modern. <laughs> yeah, leisure doesn't contribute a lot to the story, like you said. Maybe, 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 maybe that's for the downtime issues. It depends on what you're. It depends on what you're looking at, Professor. Yeah, <laughs> I do love that cocktail dress she's in. I'll say it again. That is just between the girls are icky phase and the girls. <laughs> oh my phase. Yeah, I get you. I get you. Uh, well, let me go ahead and and uh, lead our way towards towards grading this. Now, in terms of the cover, before reading the story, I'd give it something like a classic middle-of-the-road C. I don't love that pinkish background, and I do like the original version a little better. But after reading it, I do appreciate that so many story beats are represented on the cover. You got the giant robot. You got the kid helpers. You got the, the, uh, the bubbles. You got the dark, sort of the dark energy weapon. So, and Magnus is fighting a robot. So I'm giving this an upgrade. I, I can't go too high because I like the painted version more, but it's a B minus, B to B minus. Uh, the art on the inside, I would not wear Magnus's short pants, jumpsuit, whatever, mini skirt. But I do appreciate that the clothes are different. They're futuristic. Um, and the flying car too. So there's some cool design elements, future design that the robots are pretty cool looking too. You know, gold key, you know, the inking and the coloring. I mean, there are legitimate limitations to all of that. But I think I got to give that a B minus too, just for some of those design elements were, <laughs> were so cool. Were so cool. The story was just fun. Uh, I like the presence of the, the kid helpers, sort of your Baker Street irregulars from the Holmes, Holmes days, or whatever they're called here. Not, not a complicated story, but cool sci-fi elements. A uh, story that goes logically from point A to point B to point C. There are clues in it, hints that pay off at the end. So that's a solid B. And probably a B overall. I weight story a little bit heavier. And again, I kind of sometimes have lowered expectations for gold key reprint issues. So that might be helping me here. You know, lift up that overall grade to a... Uh, to a B. It's also the summer. I'm a much easier grader during the summer <laughs> than what I actually have. Like, um, what are those people called? Students. Students. Oh, yeah, wow. those ones a little tougher there. So I'm 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 giving it a B. 
Uh, unlike you, I like the garish purple cover. Um, <laughs> it's it, this this version or the painterly version. Mm-hmm. Um, slap it on a tin sign, and I and I'd throw it. I'd throw it on my wall. Um, I, I just this is That's awesome. this is just fun in a bun right here. This this cover. It's it like you said. All the story beats are in there. Uh, lo and behold, they don't really seem to do that much anymore. I know the cover yeah. art is what sells a lot of books these days, but. Um, yeah, it, it, you've got a book report on the cover. It's, it's got all the high points. Uh, the interior art, I, I love the retro future aesthetic for, for a lot of these older books, e- even with some of the questionable fashion choices, which I don't think are that questionable. You know, I just, if I was a little trimmer, I'd definitely try to, to, to you know, wear that stuff. I, I think those choices are questionable, but the answer is yes. There you go. You solved the riddle. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, the characters actually have facial expressions in this. Everybody's on model in every panel. The robot designs are great. Uh, and it's just, this was just a, f- a fun reading, the, you know, the, the story and art. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I think I got to go B plus on, on everything. And I know B plus for this is not a B plus that you'd get in like a, you know, a, an 80s Marvel book in terms of the art of the story. But for what this is for when this was originally published this is That's a lot fair. more coherent and better designed and better written than a lot of stuff from an indiv- a smaller publisher that would have been coming out in the mid 60s so yeah solid b plus for me across the board on this one and i'll say you know um uh, i didn't know about the painted cover i think this cover there like i looked at this cover i think it's an a there are two things <laughs> one again this could be a black light poster. You you make this up belt and put a black light on it, and this thing is going to rock somebody's world. Or I thought about it like again, I'm probably dating myself. But remember, there used to be those things you would buy as a kid that'd be like, "This is a blank poster," and you get magic markers and you color it. This is exactly how I would have colored it, right? Like I ran out of pink. Can we go get another pink marker, <laughs> right? You know. Um, so and, and again, like you say, the it's it's he's using the rip array, the tripping, the media, like really it's the whole story right there. So I'm gonna give it an A. Um, I think the inside art kind of strikes me like well-drawn Sunday newspaper comics, right? This guy is like mm-hmm. just a solid illustrator. There's no extra line that needs to be there, right? <laughs> this is like, but there's right you, you when she trips you feel her tripping when that robot's giant foot is coming in your face you feel oh that guy's falling and there's a giant robot foot in my face so so i i think if you say like you know this is probably the house style for them this is probably the like what would this look like back in 1966 probably pretty good right like this yeah. is probably like what we're doing so i gave it a b um for inside art the story i give a b plus just because like i said you know this is like a little bit of a mystery how are we going to stop these bubbles there's like a lot of vocabulary words and science words there's there's action like i don't know does he have superpowers how the heck does he, he just rips the head <laughs> off of a robot so I'm like, is he like John Carter-ish? Like, is he part robot? I don't know anything about this guy, but he can handle himself in a brawl, that's for sure. So overall, between all of those elements, um, I gave it a B plus. And so I'm kind of giving it, it's like somewhere between B and B plus. I'd probably say like an 86 on a test, right? Like, you know, you're hovering right around there. But again, anytime I read something and I'm like, wow, I can picture myself sitting under the tree in the backyard reading (laughs) this with like a Slim Jim and a Mountain Dew, right? It has done its job. 
it has done its job. So I just, I was just tickled by this, this book, which when you sent it to me, I was like, I can't believe I'm going to have to read this book. And when it was done, I was just grinning. You know, it's the, to me, it's the secret of, of, uh, relationships, you know, low expectations. Yeah. Uh, it's really, <laughs> it's really been my secret weapon all these years. Well, you, you know, I have to say, you know, it's true for movies, right? Like, you know, you go into a movie with super high expectations, it's never going to meet it. You go into a movie with no expectations, and suddenly the 13th Warrior is like the best Viking movie ever made. I'm a fan of that flick. I yes. love that movie. I like <laughs> love that movie. Well, should I jump to Cyberella? Let's do it. I think we're going to limp to the finish line because I do not think that we're going to get bees for this. And, you know, I will say I love Howard Jacob. This is a tough read. Uh, uh, I'm glad you guys let me pick it. I honestly was thinking that I was going to pick um, one of Jacob's not big two miniseries to do, like Midnight Man or something like that. But I was told I should pick something from the big two when I kind of did. So this is from the Helix imprint a very short-lived science fiction imprint from D.C. in the late 90s. I think they were trying to cash in on the vertigo elan yeah. of the time, mm. and uh, it just didn't catch. And the truth is, when you look back at those books, where the hell was I? Like Michael Moorcock writing a, a book drawn by Walt Simonson. Like, how did I miss that, right? And yeah. and Transmetropolitan started out as a Helix book and then went to Vertigo when Helix collapsed. But here we are with Cyberella by Howard Chaikin and Don Cameron from September 1996. I was three months into my intern year of residency. So this is a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the cover shows, you know, it's a very stylized Cyberella. Behind it is a UPC code, which is something that Chaikin likes to incorporate in a lot of his art. And there's a series of television screens with sort of a cartoonish version of the main character, Cyberella. And she's bursting through one of the screens, clearly a riot girl. She's in sort of goth gear. She's got combat boots. Her hair is sticking straight up on end. She's got a classic Chaikin sneer. Um, and so I think it's a cover that would grab you, even if you weren't um, necessarily a Howard Chaikin fan. But now I get to go into the recap, which Good luck. Uh, <laughs> I hope everybody drank some coffee because you might drone. So Cyberella is a mascot for a virtual reality game that, that everybody plays in a dystopian future run by the philanthropic that has air quotes around it, Karachi Macro Corp Corporation. At least that's the public face of Cyberella, uh, the, an online informer who is constantly peppering the media with what the true story is named Lone Gunman tells us that there is a big truth behind all of the fake news that we learned through the beginning part of this issue. So Cyberella started in the 1920s as Little Ella, a sort of Betty Boop type character created by somebody named Kelton Mosby. And also that show was produced by TV engineer Bronson Travis, Travis being a resident of Roswell who got his hands on some alien technology, which he used to make his televisions. When Little Ella's cartoons hit syndication in the 1950s, new episodes get made and suddenly Lilla, Little Ella is everywhere and is a huge hit again. As a character, she changes with the time. So in the 60s, it's a groovy Ella who ruled the airwaves and she's all over merchandise mostly because all of her television shows are aided by implanted subliminal messages on their television via that uh, alien technology that Travis discovered. Remember, he's producing her show. 
Um, and then to gain complete control of the Little Ella uh, enterprise, Bronson Travis murders uh, Kelton Mosby. He's basically like a Disney style sort of guy. Travis then creates the Macro Family Corporation, sort of a mashup of Microsoft and Disney and cruising into the 80s with Ella everywhere from amusement parks to being on bombshells uh, and, uh, you know, warplanes. Uh, the, the character continues to explode. Then Bronson Travis number two, Jr., grabs control of the Macro Family Corporation from his father, um, mostly by, we, they think, poisoning him. Wielding complete economic power, Macro Family decides that they're going to buy up television stations, software companies, movie studios, and a chunk of the United States itself, and in essence, finances the presidency, who is a puppet behind their CEO. But why rule America when you can rule the world? So Macro Family joins with the Japanese Kurochi Corporation, a juggernaut in Asia, just like the Macro Family Corporation. And they create the interactive Cyberella video game based on Little Ella. The companies basically get control of the populace by feeding them this game, feeding them subliminal messages, and thus making them a simpler and more easily placated population. That said, there are people like Sunny Wilson, a young woman who is a level one programmer who lives in her virtual reality apartment, but actually lives in like a pod in Slangeliego, a city the size of the North American West Coast. And she sort of hacks into uh, the macro family company and learns what Lone Gunman is telling us throughout this issue, that the corporation is corrupt and is keeping the populace undereducated and overstimulated. That corruption that we learn actually runs deep. Take a deep breath. Bronson Travis III shoots his father, Bronson Travis II, in the head and therefore takes over the corporation and pushes forward the corporation's wormhole experiments. He's trying to achieve interstellar travel. Back in VR, we learn that the Cyberella game is played by almost everybody on Earth and the tactics of the players are monitored to actually seek out rebellious traits and then eliminate them. When Sunny uses some subterfuge in the video game, the real cops come to her door and start to interrogate her. Sunny real reveals that she learned that technique to beat the game when she dated Travis III, so there's a connection there. But as she's being questioned, again in virtual reality, the corporation fires up the wormhole, and somehow Sunny is linked to a power surge that runs through the system, frying her to be continued. Oh, well, now that I actually is, understand it. Okay, yeah, I, was, right? I, I was gonna ask Hero this question. Zero to 100%, how much of what Anne's just said did you get from reading it? I'm around 30%. From reading it? I, I think even less than that. And, <laughs> I, I, and, and I'm, I'm pretty swift, you know? I, I'm, not, yeah. I, 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 I'm not the sharpest tool in the drawer, but uh, you know, I, I'm not a blunt object either, but this was... Man, there was a lot of expert. I feel like the whole history of the company should have been the first issue here because yeah, there's a yeah. lot going on. Yeah, you, you know, I, I mean, I have a lot to say. Again, I'm a huge Taken fan, right? He never wants to underestimate the intelligence of his audience. So if you read like his Blackhawk miniseries, that's a complicated story that slowly unwinds. Um, uh, this, I think, is near inscrutable. This, like, yes. you're trying to read. You've got this history that's being told to you. It almost seems like a news documentary about that company. Yeah. But you're, it's being peppered by these like lone gunmen, uh, you know, instant messages that are trying to tell you the truth behind what happened. Like, you know, and then, you know, Bronson Travis the first died. And then 
it lone gunman. He was poisoned by his son, right? And so, so I think that there's just way too much exposition here. From for me, what should the comic book be? Like the first issue should be Cyberella doing something, and then you're like, oh, Cyberella seems cool. And then your second issue is what I have called in the past, Professor, the infrastructure issue. Okay, we've got you. Now let me tell you a little bit about the world that you're in because I dropped you in, and I'm going to try to fill things in. But even then. You could have, if you said like the first year is going to be world building, right? You could have slowly revealed all of this. Instead, it's 12 pages of like, wait a minute, who's Kelton Mosby? Who's Bronson Travis? Like, wait, one of them is a television maker or is he a producer or, you know, and then like literally there's like one tiny line that says they acquired alien technology from Roswell. Right. That's kind of a big beat. (laughs) Can we get a page or two on that? Yeah, so so I just wait. I just yeah. When when you say that's in there in one little line, I mean it's literally a a font of about five. I mean it is little. It is. I mean it probably would have been bigger thirty years ago for me, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) But yeah, it was still. Yeah, I mean these are there are some subliminal secret messages. Maybe that's what he was trying to. And I feel that's kind of a bummer because like, I honestly think like those lone gunman things, which are supposed to inform the story actually like took me out of the story because they, they were like almost sometimes saying the exact opposite of what was being said. And, and, and then like, you're trying to follow this complicated corporate history. And in the middle, it's just like, you know, well, you know, there were porn made of little Ella, like that didn't add to the story other than like, Oh, it's a chicken book. Right. You know, so, so, even as a huge Chaken fan, I just think this is kind of a fail as a first issue. Like, who would ever buy this and say, like, I can't wait to read issue two? This was this was overly dense. Um, yeah. Now, I'll say he's very good at, like, almost predicting the future. If you, like, read American Flag, he talks about, you know, there's going to be computer-generated images of people, of actors who have died, right? Actors aren't going to be around anymore. Oh, there's, like, weapons are going to be everywhere, right? And so in this, he's talking about virtual reality. In 1996, he's talking about corporations, not countries running the world, right? He's talking about, like, people undergoing, like, total body reconstructions and things like that like he's kind of like tapped into a lot of stuff that i think like oh boy in 1996 he kind of was predicting the future but it's not told in in a very engaging way and and i uh, i'm sorry i'll just talk a little bit longer than i'll let you guys talk the, the thing about this is that i think this is shaken at his crankiest as somebody who has read all 12 issues he seems like he is intent on insulting his audience this entire series more than he typically does, right? You know, and even if you read the two text pages that came with this, he takes shots at, he calls himself the crankiest man in comic. He takes shots at the She comic books, the Lady Death comic books, Denny O'Neill, Vertigo comic books, fanboys, image art. He takes a shot at the artist. You know, I mean, like he is really just guns ablazing. And and when you read the rest of the book, it it honestly like the aliens come around. The devil shows up as the CEO of one of the companies. There were little things in the panels that say, like, why are you reading this? You anal retentive fanboy. You know, like it really is. It's probably him. It is meanest. Um, And as a result, it's not entertaining. 
Well, now knowing what I know, I I, I wasn't I wasn't um, chomping at the bit to to pick up issue two. And if if this is your overall assessment of the entire <laughs> series, yeah, I'm I'm too old and I'm not cranky, so I I don't know if I don't ever insult the audience. Doesn't matter what 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 yeah. pursuit you're in, just just don't do it. Doesn't end well. It makes you look petty, and then you well, get less people to buy your books. I was, I was gonna say, yeah. I mean, if if you want to say he was predicting the future. Comic book yep. companies have spent the last decade or so insulting various elements of their yeah. audience. So That's there why you I don't go. Buy books anymore. <laughs> he yeah. was he was he was leading the way in that that area as well. You know, you think if you're Howard Chaikin, you probably have a group of readers who are like, "Oh, it's a Howard Chaikin book. I like him. I'm going to buy it." Right? You're but you're probably niche even in 1996. Yeah. Why would you eliminate the small group of people who are probably loyal to you? Um, so I would say read American flag four times over before you come to this again. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's the problem that it was maybe a day, maybe two days after Ange told me that he, that this was his selection was free comic book day. And one of my stops that day was crazy comics. That's crazy with a K and two Z's Yay! crazy. <laughs> and uh, their dollar boxes were only 50 cents. So oh I God. grabbed the first nine issues of this. Oh, yeah. And well, you should have told me. No, that. I, I'm going to tell you that, you know, give I have you $5 say, back. I need, yeah. Someone owes me. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you that um, I, I read this first issue and I haven't read it, but this struck me as so strange. And I just have these vague memories of the rest of it that I'm like, I actually think I'm going to pull it out and read it because maybe it'll read differently now that we're 20 whatever yeah. you know three years later you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um so maybe but but i can just remember that even then i was like boy and like um i you know i mean if you look at the percentage of howard jake and books back like if he writes it i buy it right you know so so i i think again you're probably better off finding satellite sam by image which is like a twisted yeah. look at you know, howdy doody than, uh, than, than looking at this. One thing I was thinking about in, in terms of this book was that I know Chaikin, he's an artist as well, thinks of himself as, as an artist, but this idea, this concept, short story, novel, this story, this, I don't know that it works exactly in this media. I think that, I, yeah. I don't think it works as a comic necessarily. Yeah. But it's big ideas. It's a lot of sci-fi. There might have been another venue for this yeah. story. It's it's too it's too much for twenty six pages. I mean, this the amount of material in here could easily be the first two issues. Yeah, I, I feel like with the world building between the creation of Ella to where we are in this future, where everybody's living like it's in Ready Player One. Yeah, um, that, that's a that's that's decades. I mean, you need to, yeah. like probably should have been, you know if you're gonna ostensibly place this in the real world, how did this Ella and this technology from aliens impact the real world as we know it? Like, yeah. what what happened during World War II? What happened during the Vietnam War? What happened in '96? We would have been in the throes of of the Middle East, you know, yeah. the tail end of it. So. Uh, some more there would have been helpful because this just was just man bang 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 too 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 much yeah and the title character that that image of on the cover which probably grabbed you is not in the book is right? no. yeah. in fact 
you're assuming as a reader that Sonny Wilson, who you meet halfway through, is going to be the main character, but you don't meet the main character, right? So it just unfolds weird. Like, I just honestly think the first issue should have been Cyborella fighting the Karochi company. And then the second issue could be like, where did I come from? Well, let me tell you, I was attached to the VR machine when the wormhole went off. And then issue three is, well, where did the Karochi family come from? Like, oh, well, you know, right. This could have been uh, a history. Like it's called world building, not like here's the world. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to drop it for, you know, uh, it, it just, it was a, it's a rough. And then I read it and I was like, I can't believe this is the one I picked. I'm never going to be invited to the show again. I promise hey, that, next hey, time. Look, th this, that's why this show is fun. I'm just thinking of something. So this would have been a, in a post Aeon Flux on MTV world, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So I, I'm sure, and that grabbed a lot of eyeballs. So I can understand at that time and with the way it looked like. And we're only a couple of years away from the Matrix, which kind of expertly right. made these points in a but in a two-hour film where you have time to sit and watch and digest. I well, mean, there's I'll something to be said for reading a trend and trying to be on top of a trend. I don't know if Chaikin was the guy to attack this trend. Yeah, for well, this I'll... one, for for yeah, for Cyberpunk. I don't know if he yeah. was yeah. He's not Henry Gibson. So yeah, I, yeah. Uh, Neil Stevenson I'll, I'll... or those guys, he's not. Yeah. I'll tell you the the you know, this this imprint, which was called Helix, was originally going to be called Matrix. And they had to at the last minute change it because the Matrix movie was coming out and they didn't want to deal with anything. And it's funny, like if you think about Aeon Flux, an image really ruling the roost issue 12 which is the last issue of this book is like what would cyborella look like if she was drawn by the image people uh and uh, okay and, yeah you don't even need to share because i've already right? got an idea in my head <laughs> you know? so anyways, and, and, big boobs and, no feet okay that's right and it's funny because in that if you read if you read those um uh, text pages at the end he says the first design was just a goth girl and then the second design was an image take on Cyberella. And he was like, and we got rid of the big breasts and uh, and the shoulder pads. And we came upon this design, which we thought was just sleeker and like talked more about what we wanted to do. But again, Aeon Flux got a lot of eyes on it. And that was like super stylized. I don't know, the yeah, art here right. is pretty, is not exactly like- The faces are good. I, I, you know, like going through it, it's like, okay, there's expression in all those faces. They're on model in every panel. Th that looked fine. But with this, with all the back matter and the other content going on in the first half of the book, it's muddy. Like yeah. I understand that they're trying to do that info dump, an exposition dump. There's, there had to have been a better way to do it. Yeah, but yes. I, I, looking, I wonder if the idea was I've got all these versions of this character throughout the throughout the ages, and he wanted to throw all of them from the Betty Boop to the '60s to the '80s to the night. He wanted to hit. He, he wanted to show us every version of well, that you could do that in one page but, if you really yeah need to. yeah right yeah you could start out 30s 50s 60s right and just have the character change yeah she's always been around now let's go oh yeah. my there she is <laughs> right? it's, it's kind of, that's kind of right up my alley but hey you know. <laughs> um, yeah you know um even the color palette, once you get to like present day and it's Sonny Wilson, it's all dark greens and blacks and dark tans and browns, which might be them saying the world, there's no color right. in the world in real life, you know, yeah. but, but it just makes every, it's just murky, even it's not visually engaging. So 
All right. We've talked enough. I guess I'll give the scores. <laughs> I would give the cover a B. I think one, if you're a Chaken fan, screams Chaken. I think it's a dynamic image. There's this riot girl with this crazy, like almost Bilsenkevich hair sticking straight up, sneer on her face, combat gear. Um, so I would give the cover a B. But then story, art, and overall, I think it's probably like C minus, C minus, and probably should be a D, but I'll give it a C minus because I like Chaken so much that, <laughs> that you can see great ideas. It's just not presented in a way that is entertaining. So, and that's what these are supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, think, I like the cover. Um, I think the trade dress itself is a little busy with the, the barcode behind it, but the, the multiple um, video screens and the, and the main character yeah, it looks pretty nice. You know, it's it's you know, she's 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 hot. She's she's jumping out at you. You know, it's it probably would have got me to at least pick the book up and flip through it to see if I was going to buy it or not. It's still, not not something I would probably put on my wall. So, um, yeah, it's it's a solid. Uh, yeah, eh, not a solid B. I'll say B minus just because my taste kind of skews towards some other stuff. Interior. I mean, the drafting is all fine in it but it's busy. So I think it's more of a layout issue than an ability issue. Um, but that being said, if it was hard for me to read it because of the way it was presented, then I, I have to give it a, a, a C minus. Cause I, I mean, I really struggled um, with this. So yeah, interior art C minus. And then the story, because it was so busy, this is, and I don't, I, I got to go with a D just because I had so much trouble trying to get through this. And I don't like to be this harsh because I'm not a professional writer or a professional artist, but at the end of the day, I know what I like to read. I don't think this was it. And usually when people bring stuff on here that I've never heard of, I'm at least curious to to check out another, another issue of stuff. This one, not so much. So, I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, that kind of puts everything down to like a real low C minus for this one. Um, but again, if, if this sounds like it's up your alley, you know, the worst you can do is take 10 minutes and read it, see if you want to keep going with it. But yeah, just just not for me. That's okay. In in terms of the cover, I, I like the green. I like the big barcode across the top. I like the video screens. It communicates the cyberpunk, you know, genre. It displays the title character, complete with a grimace and a clenched fist. Um, so it's, you know, it, it it was cyberpunk of this era. And I don't want to speak, uh, and for our friend Martin Gray, but I think he'd approve of the logo. I, th yeah. I think so. I mean, I, th I think it all, I, th I, th I think the cover works for what it's trying to do. So, you know, BB plus, uh, that's the strength. The strength is the cover. And the art, I mean, a lot, you know, a lot, a lot of what Chris said, faces are expressive, the cyberpunk stuff works, but things are cramped. Uh, claustrophobic again in art and story sometimes you can really pull them apart I think here you're sort of running them together because it's all the storytelling panels are cramped because the story's cramped it's a story you know so th those are both running together the story overall it, I, I did not find it welcoming um, did buy, I did buy some more I will read some more <laughs> but it's not the case that I just can't wait to find out I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna read number two right now, as soon as I, as soon as we hang up, you know, it was, there were interesting elements. I, 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 I kind of liked the cyberpunk era. It's been a while since I've read anything in it. So, you know, um, 
in a sense, I'm looking forward to, you know, uh, to that. But a, a lot of what you said, Ange, it just, it is uh, un- unwelcoming is, is, is really the word that's, that's hitting me. So it's probably a C minus and a C low, low C, you know, 72, 73, uh, <laughs> percent, uh, overall. And, yeah, because you know, for me, story does does is 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 pulling that down. And you know, if Howard Jakin doesn't like that grade, he can take it up with Assistant Dean Paul Spatero. Okay, they, <laughs> they he can call him into his office, and they can have a chat about. It. All right. Yeah. Well, you know, I think all in all, we did a pretty good job of bringing three books that no one else in this whole assistant editors thing. <laughs> Are gonna bring so to me fellas job well done i agree it's the nooks and crannies of the comic genre that or medium that i think is is what's so fascinating about it yeah that was there's fun. a space for everything you know it's just what do you like it's out there go find absolutely. it absolutely absolutely uh dr anch tell us uh where online we can find you uh I'm most active in social media on Twitter still. I'm at Dr. Ange 70 there. And I run a Supergirl fan site called Comic Box Commentary, but I pretty much cover all of the Superman family there with reviews and covering the news. And I am at Relatively Geeky, the uh, home of the Quarterbin podcast and various hey. other things. Hey. Thank you. Always good to be here. And Chris, where here on Two True Freaks are you? Uh, right now, um, I've got my mainstay show with uh, Chris Honeywell and them Jack and Eddie boys, Luke and Jay, doing the vault of startling monster horror tales of terror. We cover old stuff. We cover some new stuff. It's uh, been going on for like 10 years now. So we're still uh, more than that now. I, just, you know, I don't even know. Um, and I'm doing a lot of voice work with the 8TW, the Akadekagonagon Theater Works, uh, spearheaded by Thomas DJ doing silly voices. Um, so yeah, you can hear me as Chuck in their adaptation of Strangers in Paradise. And uh, most recently, I was a Frankenstein monster that sounds like Dr. Strangelove for uh, the Loveland Frog. So um, <laughs> if you like silly voices and all sorts of weird stuff and public domain comic adaptations and Anything and everything you can think of, go check that out. That's all on two, the Two True Freaks website. So there you go. Beautiful. All right, let's send this on to Paul. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at two truefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.